We're to a new series here, uh, uh, and, and uh, that's the subject for this morning. But is it time for the church to sh- change? And, and most of you know what we do most frequently around here, and our staple for Sunday mornings is to look at the biblical text and work through what God is telling us about who he is. But uh, we're taking a break from that this summer, and the purpose of this is, is we're confronting increasingly significant culture issues that are challenging our experience and expression of our faith in God. Uh, There seems to be an accelerating pace away from what I would call the Judeo-Christian ethic, and we're just moving away from that, and and that's what we want to talk about uh, uh, this summer. How do we think Jesus would have us respond to this culture which seems to be shifting and, and changing? What response best displays God's character? That's our hope, that's our role, his love, his faithfulness, his goodness. And if if you were looking for a a biblical passage that we would use to support our purpose here, it's it's found in Colossians. And there Paul writes, walk in wisdom. That's what we're going to be attempting to do this summer. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, towards those who don't yet love Christ. Making the best use of the time. Implied here is that we're promoting the kingdom above all else. We're promoting Jesus above all else. And it feels like to me, I'm old, it's getting more complicated. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's our hope for this summer. As we deal with the subjects that you've seen listed, that we will be better prepared, better informed, to speak lovingly and maybe a little more thoughtfully about these subjects and how they relate to Jesus and his love and uh, his grace. So today we're starting with politics. I don't know how many people over my life have told me, hey, we don't talk about politics and religion. And I assure them I will not agree to that in any context, particularly the religious part. Uh, you may suggest that, but that's, that's, that's not who I am and uh, the division. Now, I can't remember where I read this, but, but somebody wrote this, and it just struck me as, as a broad summary. We're talking very quickly today. Well, it may not feel quickly to you, but lots of layers to this issue of how do we as Christians deal with politics. So please hear me say as we summarize this, this is the, the high-level view. But I, I love the way this guy, and I can't remember who it was, but he said something pretty close to this. Here's the essence of a challenge. Conservatives believe they are promoting the American ideal, and liberals are betraying it. Liberals believe they are promoting the American ideal, and conservatives are betraying it. And and I love that summary because it does feel like to me the essence of the tension that we're involved with right now. I'm just going to tell you again, you seniors, I'm old. I've been through a lot of elections and presidential elections. I've not seen anything as contentious as what we saw in 2020. Now, you read history, I understand people used to shoot at one another and do all kinds of nasty stuff over political stuff. I, I don't think I'm uninformed, and, uh, but I will tell you, uh, the anchor, the anger, the, the, the rancor, uh, 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 the vitriol was beyond anything I've experienced in my life. 
um, policy and character, we can go all kinds of directions. You got all kinds of issues, but, but, but this thing uh, uh, was, was nasty. The degree of intensity. I just don't remember this degree of intensity. The volume at which people were speaking. The lack of ability and willingness to respect other people's perspective. Now, please hear me saying, I'm not just talking out there in the world, those outside and those inside the church. Uh, it felt like even with inside the church. I don't remember an election that's been so divisive. Social media, mainstream media. I'm just going to tell you, I don't remember a time when people got so animated. I can't tell you about how many families I've heard of that have been divided by their political views. Families where I wouldn't have guessed this would happen. So how would Jesus have us interact with politics, with our government? What's the response that brings God the most glory? So I'm going to do a little background here. Freedom of religion, I'm a big fan of it. The United States was founded by folks fleeing from countries where the government controlled and directed religion. It was one of the primary factors that motivated many to leave the countries that they were a part of. I want to talk just quickly about separation in church and state. This was wrestled with by our founders. You know, we presume this, but those who first got here, there's not that many of them. They're setting up churches. They're setting up the government. For most of them, the idea that these would be separate really didn't occur to them. Some of them were okay with, for instance, the Church of England. Others were, hey, we got a better religion than the Church of England, so let's mix politics and religion. That's not a problem because now we have the true religion. Then there were some that said, hey, let's try and appropriately separate government and religion. One is Roger Williams. In 1636, it's the first recorded account we have where this word separation is used as a metaphor, the first account. Now, this guy is a pastor. He was of Puritan heritage. He actually got kicked out of a Puritan community for one of the issues was holding for separation of church and state. They kicked him out. <laughs> Again, let's just understand our history a little bit, where we were. But in 1636, he, he was the, the first public official that used separation. He wrote, there needs to be a hedge or wall of separation, first time we know it, between the garden of the church and the wilderness of the world. Williams, I hold these views, believe that any government involved in the church would corrupt the church, the other side of it, the governmental pressure to Christianity was not pleasing to God. Why we want a separation. Forced worship stinks in God's nostrils. 
I like this Roger Williams guy. He did not have an easy life, and he was in favor of the separation of church and state in 1789. The Constitution was written in 1787, was ratified in 1788, and was put into effect in 1789, and we got this First Amendment that I'm pretty sure you all are familiar with. I think it's good. What I'm trying to suggest, though, is it took a while to get here. This is 150 years after Roger Williams wrote those words. Our country was wrestling with this stuff. How does this look? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I love this. This is fabulous. And mostly in the world, this is unheard of. Unheard of. This is a privilege for we citizens that most folks in the world know nothing of. Now, separation of church and state, it is most well known because Thomas Jefferson in 1802 wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association. And this is where most folks use this phrase. It's again from Thomas Jefferson. Now, this is a long quote. It's too long to read to people because everybody would suggest you're going to get bored. But they don't know how smart RCC folks are. So we're going to read a long one. And part of what I want you to see is this was one smart dude. Now, I don't agree with a good share of Thomas Jefferson's theology, but this was a smart dude that was very articulate. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, that First Amendment. Thus building, and this is the most famous place where it's from, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. This is where we get that phrase. Most folks point back to here. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights. Convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. Now, the separation of church and state, let's start here. Our founders wrestled with that, and it was intended to protect the church from government. Everybody with me thus far? This is an important thing that we want to talk about. That's where separation of church and state come from. We're going to protect the church from the government's intrusion. Everybody's with me. That's how it started. Now, the Evangelical Free Church of America, that's our denomination. We have a Scandinavian heritage. There was a Norwegian free church and a Swedish free church in the middle of the 1800s that started over here in America, and they merged in 1950. But that's what the free means. To some degree, you could suggest in America, it really doesn't have that significance. But our denomination was started by people who left the state church. So being free was very, very important to them. It's intended to protect the church from government. Now, where we've come is a little different place. Some are promoting now that there be no religion in politics. Protect the government from religion. Not everybody out there, but there are some folks out there now that are trying to protect the government 
from us. Churches should not promote their views. How many of you are familiar with the Johnson Amendment in 1954? Anybody? It's actually illegal for churches in America to promote an individual candidate or a party. Lyndon Johnson, who would call himself a man of faith, proposed this amendment in 1954 while he was a senator, you old people know, in what, what state? Texas, before he became president. Now, here's the idea of this amendment. It's in the tax codes. You get really excited about a candidate, and you'd like a tax exemption. So what you do is you send money to RCC knowing Todd and RCC will promote this candidate. And they said, ho, 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 that's not legal that people should get a tax write-off or promoting a certain candidate. Are you all following the logic? President Trump tried to get this reversed. He was not successful. That's the idea behind that law. Now, as you may have recognized, there are many churches in America not abiding by that law. But that's the intent of the law. Uh, we, we'll, uh, we'll save the discussion maybe for later. <laughs> but that's the law of our nation. Now, as we go forward, I, I want you to understand this is important. Clergy should not promote views. And you may know that I, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm fairly careful. Now, when this really struck me, and here's the essence of my concern, and it's how some people understand church and state, was I was having a conversation 20 years ago with a friend of mine in Seattle whose name was Ted, and it was the Al Gore-George Bush election, and we were just talking as friends, and I shared some of my perspective, and he looked at me and goes, you shouldn't share that, and I'm like, excuse me? Why shouldn't I? And then he said you're a pastor separation of church and state and I went oh my that I'm not supposed to have a, a, a political opinion and, and there are folks out there that hold that and, and there are folks out there holding that Christians should not promote their views even in matters of, of, of government now it's impossible to separate our religious views from our politics. It ought to be impossible. Who we are in Christ is just who we are. We do not live compartmentalized lives. Our view of who Jesus is, my hope is, will impact everything about us. Our values, our vision, our sense of purpose, all that stuff comes from who we are. So trying to pull that apart for Christians just doesn't make sense. Now, I'm going to suggest that some of those folks who are trying to get us to do that, it's impossible for them to separate their religious views from their politics. Atheism is a religious view. If what some of them were asking us to do, we were to ask of them, we would say of them, I want you to not have your atheism reflect your political views. Now, could they do that? No. No, they could not, and you can't do that for anyone. Here's the reality. Our view of the world, religious views, whatever you want to call it, affects our political views, and it should. And asking people, because of separation of church and state, to try and limit that, in my estimation, is not only unfair, can I be quite bold with you? It's just stupid. We, 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 we can't. I want you to, this, this is from Lyndon Johnson. Now, this is the guy that promoted 
the Johnson Amendment that I told you about, right? He's a fan of separation of church and state. So am I. So am I. Appropriately applied. But notice what he said. The separation of church and state is a source of strength. I believe that. But the conscience of our nation does not call for separation between men of state and faith in the same being, in the supreme being. You understand what he's saying? We have a separation of church and state, but we're not asking individuals to somehow discard their faith as they come to politics. That's not what we mean by separation of church and state. So as citizens of these United States, we have all the rights that come with being a citizen, all of them. And though the Constitution does not mention God directly, God is referenced directly in the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance, U.S. currency, and every state constitution. Now back to the question of the day, which you probably noted by now I haven't really answered. So how would Jesus have us interact with politics and our government? What is the response that brings God the most glory? And you heard me say, we have all the rights of any citizen in America. But what we're wrestling with and what I want to talk about going forward here is, what's a productive response? Though we're citizens of these United States, more importantly, we're citizens of heaven. Now, we have all the rights of any citizen of the United States, even my friend Ted that didn't think I should speak to that. He's just wrong. <laughs> but what's a productive response? What's a productive interaction that brings God glory, though we have all the rights of being an American citizen? Now, God has ordained a role for government. Render to Caesar, Jesus said, the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. Now, I read a couple articles about, by this, by, by some uh, fairly well-known theological guys that built great uh, uh, political cases uh, on this verse that I'm just going to tell you, I think they were trying to make it say more than Jesus was saying. The guys are actually trying to trip him up here, and, and, and yeah, but he, he is saying there's a role for government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now give to God with God, and you could, I think, infer some separation of church and state from that. I think Paul deals more specifically in, in Romans 13 with this. He writes this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Everybody heard that first word? We take that very seriously here at RCC. Nero is in charge of the government that he's writing about. If you know who Nero is, Nero's in charge of the government that Paul's writing about at the time. So let's just keep some perspective. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The civil authorities are ultimately put there not because we voted them in, but because God put them there. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, this would be potentially us. Therefore, who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. I think he's not talking about necessarily just the civil authorities. I think here he's talking about from God as well. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Now, remember who he's talking about. He's speaking generally here. He's talking about the ideal role of government. 
but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Somebody better look that up and see if that's actually in the Bible. You're getting a little bit of my challenge. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be, must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. It feels like to me a passage that many who claim to love Christ have not been paying that much attention to. God has ordained a role for the government. Civil authorities receive their ultimate authority from God. That's what Paul tells us. And we're to submit to the civil authorities, and civil authorities are to promote a civil society. That's what they're here to do. They're here to keep us safe. They're here to protect us. They're here to keep disorder from just craziness, right? We're talking about in Jesus' day. Before Jesus, there was a theocracy. There was just the Jewish people, and they were doing everything. And we are to participate in our civil society. And here's what I love about America. We have an opportunity to participate in our governmental authorities like almost nobody has ever seen in the history of the world. What a privilege. Now back to the question that I've shared three times and I'm finally gonna try and answer that a little bit specifically. But how would Jesus have us interact with politics and with our government? What's in response that brings God the most glory? Because the reality is these governmental officials make a difference in how we live. What these folks decide has a very real impact on us. I see two extremes, just the way I view life almost always. For me, it feels like to me the truth of God is usually found somewhere in between extremes. On the one end is complete passivity. Christians who suggest, hey, God's sovereign and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, so I'm going to do nothing. The other extreme, you might guess what it is. A wholehearted pursuit that puts politics on this level and the government on this level where it feels like to me sometimes we might be, be being tempted to, to raise our civil uh, uh, American citizenship above our heavenly citizenship. And for me, you can hear me say that the answer is almost always someplace in between the truth of the extreme. So I'm going to try and lay that out for you in two ways. What we ought to focus on, but first of all, what we ought to avoid. What I've already referenced, but doing nothing. Not being involved does not feel to me God glorified. <laughs> he has given us a role, and in his sovereignty, he has allowed us in this country to have a significant role. 
as citizens of these United States. We also want to avoid, though, believing the government is the primary means of promoting God's character. It feels like to me sometimes those who love Christ are looking the government to usher in Christ's kingdom. Let me assure you, it ain't coming until Jesus comes back. And we look for whoever our elected official is to do more to promote Jesus than I think they actually can or should, even as a governmental official. They're here to protect us, give us civil authorities. We want to avoid investing more time and energy in politics than in the direct promotion of Jesus' love. It feels like to me every four years, and it makes sense given our political cycle, but there is a passion for politics that just, wow, it's a wave. It's like the tsunami that hits us. And then after the election, we're either thrilled or sometimes bitterly disappointed. Being more excited about political figures than Jesus. I hope that one is obvious. Now, here's one I've felt passionate about for all my adult life since I became a pastor. Making formal, formal connections with political parties or candidates. Now, I've already suggested to you that's illegal. I've been encouraged every election cycle by people from the churches I've served every time to speak more boldly and more directly and do this. My guess is most of you would be surprised, those of you who know me well, probably not, at the strength of my political convictions. I watch the news every morning, still, 10 to 15 minutes. I flip around to different channels because I like to get different perspectives. But what these guys do, and by guys, I'm not putting an agenda to that, what these folks do has a difference on us. I like to know what they're thinking and talking about. Every morning, I got 15, 20 minutes of watching the news from different perspectives, trying to see what's, what's going on. But here's what happens when, when corporately we endorse a candidate or a party. Here's my deepest conviction. I'm going back to, how many of you remember Jerry Falwell and the moral majority? He had a right. Christians had a right to assemble and become the moral majority. Please understand my view. We have every right to do that. My question is, at what cost? What's the cost of our doing that? Here's my greatest concern, that those who don't treasure Christ all of a sudden are connecting us with certain political views or certain politicians, and they see Jesus as not that important. So if you're around here, we didn't endorse any parties. Now, will we talk about issues? We're going to talk about abortion here in a few weeks. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Abortion, phew. But we're going to avoid that. Do we have a right to do that? I want to hear you. Do we have a right to do that? Yes. Yeah, we have every right. The question is, as citizens of heaven, is it wise? Not respecting the positions of others. I'm going to walk on very sensitive ground. But I've had folks suggest to me, I don't know how somebody could call themselves a Christian and vote for Biden. I've had others suggest, I don't know how you could call yourself a Christian and vote for Trump.
That's what breaks my heart. We want to talk about stuff. Being drawn more to personality than policy. These are things we're avoiding. And please hear this last one. This is to some degree a summary. Expressing non-Christ-like behavior in any interaction. Now, don't hear me suggesting what these guys aren't, aren't dealing with are not real issues with significant consequences. That's why we're doing the series this summer. Our culture's going someplace. So what do we focus on? Being informed. Let's know what's going on. Let's pay attention to what's going on in the world. Voting for those who, who to the best of our ability, are promoting a godly worldview. Recognizing every candidate has weaknesses and limitations. Everyone. Promoting justice and good. I think we're a fabulous country, the best the world has ever seen, but we got things we can improve on. Let's promote that in our families, in our churches, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, and in our government. Let's promote that everywhere. Let's be conversing lovingly with those who view things differently. How about we have an opportunity to impact and influence them rather than just getting angry? I've seen so much anger. These are real issues with real consequences. Let's be involved. But let's have the spirit of Christ driving all of our conversations. Let's prayerfully consider running for office or working directly in government. Maybe God's calling some of us to take a more direct role in this stuff. Let's consider that. Trusting wholeheartedly that God is working in all circumstances for his glory and the benefit of those who love him. We're involved. We participate. We advocate. We stand. But here's our theology. God is in control and working for his glory and his good. Even when things don't go our way, we go, guess God's got a plan that doesn't make sense to me, but I believe he's got a plan. I got this book that shows me how he and his sovereignty was working through all kinds of things that didn't make sense. Joseph being sold into slavery the crucifixion of his own son. So we have a confidence ultimately in God. And we live every day with the confidence that one day Jesus will rule all. We have influence now. We participate now in the love of Christ. But one day there's coming back where there will be no more civil authority. This is the second coming. So we live now knowing that day will come. So we don't get too desperate. We don't get too frustrated. We're salt and light as best we can be. But one day, we are not going to have to live with this mess. But what we're hoping to do is live in a way that when Jesus returns, there are as many people as possible ready to meet him. 
And you can hear from me, it feels sometimes like we lose sight of that. In the short-term success we think we need preempts promoting Jesus above all else. So here's my takeaways, if I can summarize all this. Gonna make it fairly simple. Let's be informed. Let's be involved. And brothers and sisters of RCC, hear this third one in the love I intended. And there are some of you who may suggest, hey, Todd, when we were talking and stuff, you got pretty passionate. Forgive me. <laughs> Let's be nice. Be informed. Let's be involved. And let's be nice. And let's never take our eyes off of Jesus. May preeminently, most importantly, most significantly, may we always be focusing on Jesus. Now, I hope you came in, you received or took some communion elements. If, if you didn't take one, if you'll just raise your hand, we got some folks that'll pass them around. But Jesus is our king. Jesus is our authority. We're living in a world, we're living in a world that is broken. That's not a surprise to anybody, is it? But Jesus loves us, he loves us, he loves us. And he's given us a role in this world. to ultimately point people to him. Not every election has gone the way I would have preferred. I think I got used to it a few years ago. <laughs> but my conviction is that the Lord who gave his life for us has some plan and purpose in all of this. He came into this world to redeem us, that our sins might be forgiven and that we might become instruments of his grace in the lives of others. Are we to stand for his values? Unmistakably, unashamedly, unreservedly. But with his love. And we're surrounded by a culture, and you can hear me say surrounded, who has a bigger problem than some of these social views. They don't know Jesus. That's their bigger problem. I would suggest theologically they're in bondage to the evil one. That these folks who disagree with us are not the enemy. They're in bondage to the enemy. Now, I do understand the challenge is that they don't see it that way. That complicates our saving mission. God's put us here to enjoy his forgiveness and grace 
and introduce them to Jesus' love. That's why he put us here. So on that day when civil government, will you understand, be annihilated. We want to have as many people as we can say, I'm ready, Jesus. You know, some of those folks at RCC, we didn't early on agree on all this political stuff. But even the way they talked with me, there was a love and a grace. They didn't buy my positions. They accepted me for who I was. Jesus loves us. <laughs> he loves us. I'd like this world before he comes to reflect more of his glory and grace. I don't know if it will. We're going to work towards that. But never at the cost or compromising to the best of our ability the beauty of his sacrifice. So we, we leave here grateful to be citizens of these United States. We leave here exponentially more grateful to be citizens of heaven. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He is the one to whom we gratefully and happily submit. Till He comes back, we're going to be involved, share His love, and promote his goodness, the privilege he has given us. Lord, go with us. Keep our eyes focused on you. The world is hurting. The world is broken. Help us to find our strength, our comfort, our joy in you. And Father, increasingly make us instruments of your goodness and of your joy for those who are hurting so, so deeply. May we stand for you with your grace and with your love. But Lord, help us to stand. Have a great week, everybody. Jesus is always Lord.